The Diesel Performance Podcast contains explicit language. Thank you for joining us again. This is Paul Wilson. And I'm Danny Voss. And you're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast. Danny, we've had some great episodes going on here uh, just very recently. A lot of drag racing. We've talked to a lot of NHRDA drivers and guys who are really big names in the the race industry. And we keep promising that we're going to do a sled pull episode. Here it is. Let's pull through. Absolutely. Uh, We'd like to get started right away and introduce David Browning of Diesel Technology Source. How's it going, David? Hey, what's going on, guys? Not much, not much. Thank you for joining us today. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having us. Not a problem at all. David, we wanted to bring you on. I've, I've met you a few times and talked to you a ridiculous amount of times, mostly about sled pulling or at sled pulls. So I couldn't think of anybody better to, to bring on the show and kind of help our listeners get started with the introduction here. Yes, sir. The only time we've met is at sled pulls. That's a to- totally true. Totally true. So um, we always start out our shows by asking, how did you get started in diesel performance? Probably like everyone else on the planet um, that's in diesel performance currently. Um, I don't know of anyone except maybe it's Shads and Hazley's. It's like second generation. Most most of the people in the industry that I deal with, and I think you deal with as well, are first-timer business owners, first-generation entrepreneurs. We buy a truck. We buy some performance parts, or we, more importantly, call performance shops, don't get the answers we want, are not pleased with the product, and decide to do it ourselves. <laughs> um, 90% of what my business is, um, you know, is you buy a diesel truck for a certain contracting business. Most of those businesses, you have to work on stuff yourself or grow up working on stuff, so you kind of have an idea of what needs to happen, and uh, you just get tired of all the... The uh, non-promises from other people, I guess, is how we got how I got started. How long ago was that? I guess I, I bought or I purchased EFI Live in two thousand seven, um, and that kind of started uh, the sparks upstairs. You know what I'm saying? Right. You, you purchase a tool like that, you uh, you want to know what it's about and what capabilities are of the truck it kind of unlocks a pandora's box of sorts of capability so one thing leads to another i guess absolutely the v2 is very powerful in the right hands absolutely it is in the right hands and i think you guys are in the right spot for that (laughs) absolutely i appreciate that david um okay walk me through a little bit of your history in sled pulling um, not a lot. I'm learning like everyone else, right? We're all <laughs> waiting for that magic moment, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. Um, just kind of customers, you know, along with having a business, you have a variety of customers and, you, you know, we have a few, well, we all have that one customer that gets you started. Um, and their passion turns into your passion for wanting them to do better. And more importantly, that customer led us to, the opportunity for my wife to become a sled puller and anyone that's married knows that your wife's hobby soon becomes your hobby Um, (laughs) and i don't know of you know any female that i know of that's more passionate about it than um than my wife if you could just read some of the text or emails or phone conversation just listen into a phone conversation or even sit in the passenger seat while we're heading to a sled pull you would just be amazed at the questions that go around, um, that come and go. April's certainly a riot. She's a staple in the industry. Anytime I've been out that way that you guys have been there, I've always seen her driving and 
David, you running around in the pits chasing, trying to trying to give her those last minute tips and that last minute advice. Uh, but she certainly is a riot to see out there on the track. She gives it everything. She gives it all she's got. There, you know, there's something to say about someone who don't work on the truck really has no involvement in the mechanics, and there's just no concern whatsoever for the vehicle. It's just a piece of machinery to them. <laughs> so there's no holding back. There's there's not like you know, oh, well, you're gonna break this or blow this up. It just it just goes, man. Who who cares? There's no <laughs> no holding back. There's a lot to be said about that. There's no fear. You know, no repercussions. Yeah, what's your favorite line there, Danny? When in doubt, throttle out. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. David, maybe for our newer listeners or guys who are fresh to the industry, can you just explain a little bit about the basics of sled pulling? Uh, Can you describe maybe what the event looks like and tell us kind of the simple stuff about it? Um, The the basics of it, kind of how it got started was, and this will take you way back, is I've traced sled pulling all the way back to – um, horses and, and and logs and stumps. I mean, you, you, the very roots of it was competitiveness between farmers. And that transferred into tractors. And now that we have these pickup trucks that have limitless capabilities, you have everyone on the street wanting to, you know, elbow their way into that five minutes of fame. So these competitions are set up around the country just for specifically that, for that five minutes of glory with you and your truck or, (laughs) you know, just you and a crowd of people with your peers. Uh, A lot of times it's local pools, so it's all people you know. And people you see on the street, people you may see at a restaurant, they're in the stands, they're watching you, they probably know who you are, they've heard of you uh, most of the time at a lot of the local pools. And you're just out there putting on a show, um, using your truck as, you know, as the mule, I guess you would say. Sure. You know, put the mule in front of the wagon and see what it does. Yeah, if anybody's ever been to a pole with horses, it's interesting for the first 10 minutes, and you get bored pretty quick. Now, Paul's always talking about how he's bored at truck poles. I can understand how you'd be bored at a horse pole. Oh, my God, kill but, me. you know, when it comes to a truck pole, I'd like to see a little bit more excitement out of you there, Paul. You know, my thing is, is when it comes to, to sled poles – once you know more about the industry, once you really understand how tough it is and how hard it is on a truck and how hard it is to set up a truck correctly to be successful sled pulling, I have a ton of respect for sled pullers. And over the years, it's gotten more and more exciting. As I know more and more about the industry and how much goes into it, you really start to feel for the drivers. You know, you start to feel for the shops or, or the, just the regular guys, like David said, just somebody down the street you see at the diner who works a nine to five job and all of their hobby goes into this this five minutes of fame or this five minutes of glory i i have started to become more and more accepting of that and and i do get excited at sled poles now um i will say from a personal standpoint drag racing is a lot more fun than sled pulling what do you think about that david I, you know i started drag racing at a young age that's what i grew up doing so when i started doing diesel performance that's what I contribute a lot of my early success to is having the experience in the drag racing uh, prior to diesel performance. And a lot of that goes hand in hand. So, you know, when I had customers come from me from different parts of the country wanting to do setups or motors or whatever, the only thing I had to change was my thinking about how traction was applied to, for a four-wheel drive pickup truck, you know, with 1,500 pounds of weight on the nose versus a car that maybe weigh 2,000 altogether. And sled pulling was exactly the same 
uh, challenge once again. I think it's all in what your roots are and what your interests are. One being better than the other or more interesting than the other, they're both over before they get started. I mean, in a drag race, <laughs> a stock truck, you know, you're out there running, you know, mid thirteens pretty much, low fourteen stock. You get a tune truck, you're twelve seconds and the sled pull is no different. It's over in ten or fifteen seconds. So this you know, if you're I guess it's more you're you need to be there for the event. Uh, not just each pull, I guess, for it to be exciting. That's how I would look at it. Okay, for sure. It's all in what suits you, I reckon. Absolutely. All right. Um, Whenever we talk about sled pulling classes are the first thing we always cover, right? Because we all know that each organization throughout the country that hosts or organizes sled pull events, they have their own rules and their own classes of how they match people up to compete with each other. Walk me through the classes, David. What's common out by you guys? Across the country, you're going to have your. Let, let me back up for a second. Are you, we talking like just your local pulls, or are we talking on the national circuit scale? Because there's two different types of pulling. Well, well, that's a great point to make. Can you walk us through the differences between them? Yeah, I, I, I could try. Um, and this could vary some based on what region you're in. Um, on a pro pulling circuit, um, you have like the NTPA. Uh, those guys are going to be mainly like the the multiple engine tractors, the multiple engine trucks, um, and they're going to have like your gas outlaw classes, you know, right on down to your your big block classes. Um, the diesel industry has infiltrated that some. They mainly have like your your new 3.0 class and your outlaw classes at some of those. They a lot of the NTPA events will have mainly the the fiberglass body, triple tur- turbo, uh, rock hard ram, or you, you know, you'll have you know the big triple outlaw trucks, three thousand right. plus horsepower. You follow what I'm saying, Paul? Oh yeah. Okay, and then you'll have the PPL, which is more the Pro Pulling League, which is more centered around the diesel. Um, you know, just the diesel. They have tractors too, but mainly the diesels. You're going to have. Uh, your old 2.6, which is now the 3.0 smoothbore, 3.6, which is the old 3.0 class, because we're, we're only one year, we're half a season into this new turbo class. You with me, Paul? Right. If we were having this conversation last year, we'd be talking different numbers. The 3.0 means three inches entry into the turbocharger, three-inch maximum limit. The 3.6 means 3.6 inches maximum limit into the turbocharger, and that's... That's what's limiting those trucks to power. All the trucks are, they're trying to keep all the trucks close. Um, all the competitors within, you know, feet of each other instead of one guy running away from the pack. Um, and then, of course, you're going to have your, your pro stock trucks, your unlimited trucks. On a local scale, what I see here, it's going to start clear down at the street trucks. This is the trucks you drive every day. This is the trucks that you are working Monday through Friday, Saturday, you get that thing dialed in and load your competition tune on the ECM and go hook it to a sled and try to get try to get that five minutes of fame like we talked about. Well, and, real quick, and uh, that you have a work stock class. That's what is a very gray area across the country because some organizations still have a work stock that is called work stock for stock appearing. That's a really fun class 
for the mildly modified trucks with injectors, with maybe a little bit bigger turbo, maybe a stock appearing, built trans, traction bars, some improvements to the suspension as well as the power output. And then you you have other parts of the country where work stock is considered a 2.5. That is the smallest regulated turbocharger class in the country. That's a... a uh, very competitive class. All those trucks make at or around a thousand horsepower. I would say um, flywheel horsepower, probably eight hundred or so to the tire. Wouldn't you say, Paul? I yeah, guess. yeah, I'd say that Most, that puts you right in there with a shout. You pretty much have to be over seven hundred to run two five competitively. You have to be over seven hundred. If if you're seven hundred, you're yeah, you're back of the pack. Yeah. Um, you're still will have your again, like I said, your your three inch smooth bore at most local poles this year, and you're. And they may have a three six. It's it's very rare that you'll have a local pool that has your your outlaw class. If they do, it'll be called like a what we have around here is called hot street. That allows the twin turbo guys or the guys who don't fit into a turbo class rule, like a S four eighty three or a, an S four seventy five or something that are running on the street. They right. can get in and run what they have. They're they're pretty much there just for the show off. That's it. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I always have a tough time deciding on on which class I like the most. Um, work stock is just so much fun. You, you know, usually I'm watching work stock looking for carnage. That that's where I see the most shit break. And when shit breaks, it's usually catastrophic because you have somebody who, like you said, David, you're working nine to five. You, you know, you got a regular job. This is the truck you you drove in with. This is the only truck you have to drive home with. But man, those guys get out there and they just they give it everything. And it's a pretty significant expense for a driver or for a truck to go from work stock and have just a mild, maybe a mild drop-in, upgraded turbo, big set of injectors, and a pump with a built trans. And then to jump to 2.5 to 800 horsepower, there's a chunk of change that goes into it. You know, there's a lot of time that goes into that build. And there's also a lot of safety equipment that follows along with it. You know, you have to start running loops and shields and all of those things. So... The, the balls out class, I always kind of, I look at it like they have the most amount of money into their truck. They should put on the best show. But man, work stock, like I said, it's just, it's so much fun to watch. I really think that's where, that's where my favorite part of the excitement is, at least today. Me too. That's mine too. Work stock was the most fun we ever had. So I pull it. One thing that you said is the stock guys will throw a bigger tune in their ECM for the weekend. But a guy like me, we run around the street with the big tune in all the time. <laughs> right, a lot of us do. I mean, that's that's kind of the norm. But you know, there's still guys um, with the well, most of the Cummins have a CSP now. You know, they just all they have to do is turn it to to, to the to the big tune, being you know whatever competition tune they have. But they do tow their trailers and all that, so they don't want to melt this truck down Monday through Friday when they're towing their Bobcats or their roofing trailers or you know, they're enclosed trailers for construction or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, they just take their truck and, you know, turn it to the big tune. It's all just click, click, click and and go give it all it's got. Absolutely. And, guys, while we're talking about tuning, I think that's a great chance to uh, give a minute over to our sponsors. Pardon the interruption. I'm Nick with Calibrated Power Solutions, the leading North American developer of clean diesel power and home of DuramaxTuner.com. I want to tell you about our Duramax Power Packs, the DT530 for the LB7, LLY, and LBZ. 
These power packs come with all the parts you need to make a safe, reliable 530 horsepower, including our DT750 built transmission. If you want to take your truck to the next level, 650 horsepower or higher, everything you bought in the DT530 power pack will give you the platform to build on, so you won't have to replace anything or spend your money twice. For more information, check out DuramaxTuner.com, click on the truck, and then select a power pack, or call 815-568-7920. And that's 815-568-7920. Now, back to the podcast. All right, and right back on topic where we're at here, talking about turbos and talking about the work stock guys and melting down trucks. And what's funny to me, by the way, real quick, is when a work stock guy melts down his truck, you could pretty much bet he's either going to get out of sled pulling or go to 2.5, <laughs> right? Like very few guys like melt down a work stock truck that was competitive and then end up just going back to work stock. Usually that's the time that's really the – the fire under your ass to get the truck built. And, and that's when it becomes a lot of fun for the driver. Um, you know, you put all that into it. You want to see what it does out on the track. But turbo rules. And, and this is something we touched on here briefly, David. One of the questions Danny and I keep coming across from from end users, from guys who are getting into this industry, what's the difference in the smooth bore and the, and the groove when we're talking about these bigger chargers? Actual difference is the amount, we're talking pounds per minute, that the turbocharger compressor can actually flow. When you're dealing with a smooth bore application, you have the entry of that, we're talking about the bore, the, in, the inducer of that turbocharger is your, is your limit of air. There's no recirculation groove. You can't put a bigger wheel with a clip and a huge back wall on that wheel. Um, and that's going to, we need to, we need to back up and talk about compressor wheel technology in order to get there. If we have a second to do that, Paul. Yeah, please. Um, the the inducer is the amount of airflow a compressor can flow. The exducer is a determining factor on two parts: your airflow and pressure. Um, and that's a huge factor for efficiency of a turbocharger. Your your map groove in a limited air flow class allowed for years for turbocharger manufacturers to put a big compressor wheel on a turbine shaft of their choice based on your engine displacement RPM and, and your overall power output that you wanted. They put a bigger compressor wheel on a shaft, they machine it down at the tips to fit a certain inducer bore. That's actually taking uh, a CNC machine and reducing the diameter of just the front tips of that wheel. Okay, if you set the compressor wheel on a table, that would be the, the smallest side. That's your inducer. The sure. largest side is your exducer. Um, and by clipping that wheel down, you were essentially taking the volume out of that wheel, but you still had this big back wall to deal with. So you reduced that the limit of that clip was an eighth of an inch or, say, a quarter of an inch because all the classes require it to protrude for a number of, you know, fractions of an inch into that bore, but then you still had the big back wall and the rest of the blades that could suck the air through that recirculation groove. And a lot of turbo manufacturers capitalized on that throughout the years in different ways. And they capitalized it on different ways, meaning some of them would create um, less than honest ways of getting the air in there. Um <laughs> to kind of try to hide it from the tech, and they got really creative. So the tech officials just said, I've had enough of it. It's going to be a smooth bore class. 
you have no other air entry methods other than the bore. And they did away with it for ease of uh, sled pulling tech officials. It was really just to get rid of a lot of uh, riffraff illegal turbos in the industry. Um, but the the main difference of smooth bore to a map groove, I guess, Paul, um, given the size of a class, I would say the main difference is if we're talking dollars and cents, it would be 200 horse. You know, if, wow. if that's the answer you're looking for, I would say probably a you know, a good solid 150 to 200 horsepower is what that brought those classes down at this point from what I'm seeing. That's a huge difference. And it's a, a huge difference. A lot, of guys, a, difference but, a lot of guys know that the suspension setup is definitely an important deal with your truck, but it comes down to chassis and suspension. But what have you done to your truck to, you know, make it so you're not hopping all over the track and you can make it to multiple events without breaking? Well, you know what I've contributed most of the hop to, um, and this is a lot of things people look over, is air pressure. People want to drop their air pressure or do things with the air pressure in their tires, and they have a really aggressive tire to begin with, and they want to drop the air pressure, and you're getting the spring from that tire and the power that you're making creates the bounce. You, you will have certain track conditions that will generate the bounce, but a lot of it comes from your tire selection and your tire pressure. Um, Sometimes that can come from the, the leaf springs or coal springs in the front, um, you, you just the angles and the stiffness or softness of those. Mainly that, that has been contributed to tire pressure in my experience. Um, you know, so like, do you uh, run your front tires at, at full PSI for a pole? No, you have to adjust the tire pressure based on track conditions. Okay. Um, you know, we learned that just through experience. We would we would get some hop at some classes. Um, say we were first hook, you have the ability to drop a hook. Well, if our truck, kind of, if she said, hey, the truck kind of hopped or bounced a little bit, then I would raise or lower the tire pressure based on what the track conditions were, and it would smooth right out. Just depends on how much traction you're getting. Your truck is trying to grab traction and lurch you forward, and it springs the truck up. And then the weight of the sled is pulling you back down. All you know, it's, it starts to become a rippling effect, and it progressively gets larger as you go down the track because your your power is trying to turn that tire out of its its uh, crush. You're you're crushing the tire, and then your your power is trying to spring you back up. So too low of air pressure can either mean slipping on the rim or bounce right. as, as well. And that's it depends very- on the aggressiveness of the tire. Now that's you know, that's directly my results. I write everything down. I have notebooks and notebooks from every year we've been pulling. Every every pass, we monitor tire pressure. Of course, I've sent you guys data logs. You guys have looked at it. I've talked to Bob up there. We, you know, we've went over this for years, and that's what I've contributed my bounce to. Gotcha. We've changed the chassis. Our hitch has changed several times. That Any sled puller will tell you that tuning the hitch is – probably one of the most important chassis modifications you'll make is tuning your hitch what does that mean what are you changing on it um hitch location um hitch height mainly hitch height hitch angle if if it's allowed in the classes um your your hooking points to the frame the amount of bracing between the axle and the hitch 
um, how it incorporates into the the chassis. Like a lot of trucks, you know, in two five class now across the country, they're allowing solid suspension. Uh, whereas work stock trucks, you have to have most of your work stock trucks are going to be daily drivers, like we talked about earlier. So they're going to have leaf springs without. They're not going to be solid mounted. When you when you go to solid mount, everything really determines on your tires. When you still have the springs in place, um, your hitch is very important to load that truck properly. That's huge. And one thing that Paul and I have both noticed and realized after talking to all these guys like yourself, that you have to build a history with yourself and in the industry to do well in all these events. So by understanding your truck, drag racing, you can apply these things to truck pulling and then vice versa. Absolutely. And I think that brings up a good question, David. Um, how many polls did you go to before you started to feel like you had a knack for it or before you started to really feel like you were understanding something? Um, what stands out in my mind is the first pulling truck I ever built, the, the first pulling, dedicated pulling truck I ever built um, was pretty much the first sled pull I went to had a truck that I'd been building for three or four months. And this was a twin turboed, 106 millimeter Garrett GT 5541 over uh, a GT 42 Magnum, which is a GT 45 with a 42 cover, 80 millimeter. So you had 106 feet and 80, a set of 200 overs, dual pumps. You know, this was an outlaw truck. Yeah, that's a nasty thousand plus horsepower setup, huh? It was. It was just absolutely insane. Um, and there was some twin turbo Cummins that had cut tires. Uh, you know, like they looked like a. They had tilt body, cut tires, twin turboed HX82s. And the first time we go out there, and this truck still had air conditioning on it, the truck I built, I mean, it was AC, full leather, leaf springs. I think we had like some, uh, like a big Chevy hitch put on it and some lockouts, some tie rod sleeves, straight center link. And we spent all the money on the power. Um, we were running some, uh, I think we were running boggers at that time on a clay track. It was just a, it was just a nasty looking little truck. We started winning and we kept winning with the first truck, first chance, first opportunity. And it really just became apparent that, you know, Hey, this is, this is something that I can get into. Let's, let's try to do this. Yeah. You're and always they, craving for more to do yeah, better. You just want more, more, more. Oh, yeah. And eventually one truck led to another, led to another. And, experience came with it you know and that history we're talking about building that history building the history building the experience um you know you have your downfalls too there's you know there's every in competition you have goods and bads you know you know it wasn't all good there was a there was a lot of losses and there was a lot of wins along the road you had kind of it's sled pulling man you, you're going on the dirt you can build the best possible truck tune have every, everything perfectly, dyno the most in the country, and you might be first hooked and the track be garbage, and mm-hmm. the last guy gets the best track, or you could be last and the first guy gets the best track. The, the, the conditions uh, from, from hook to hook changes. So you might not, you know, um, you might not get the best opportunity. That's why I always have somebody moving the cone to the right or the left for me because I don't want the same run that the last guy did right in front of me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I see that a lot, and I think that's a a nice thing to touch uh, on. I'm sorry to interrupt. It could be that you want the guy in front of you to pave your road. You might might get an advantage by letting the the people or person in front of you, it's called paving your road. You you might want to choose that, that line that they've been going down. If you've got a really soft track and they're packing it down for you, you might can run away from the pack if you use that method. It, it all determines you've got to have your driver or someone that knows in your – if you're in extreme competition, you've got to have somebody out there watching that track because that's going to tell you everything you need to know. And, and what we're talking about here, folks, when we're talking about picking the line or paving the road or moving the cone – when it comes to sled pulling, it's not like drag racing where you got to stay between the stripes, right? There's not a, a one specific lane. There's actually a very wide track. A lot of events that we go to run anywhere from two to four poles all at the same time. So they'll have multiple machines out there, multiple sleds out there running different classes, especially at the bigger events like TS or Shides or something like that. But even at the small events, you get a very, very wide track to run down. Not everybody has to run the exact same line from start a, from point A to point B. You have to measure the same distance, which is what sled pulling is really all about, is how far can you pull that sled down the track. You have a choice, and that choice, like David said, is usually based off of track conditions and how you're seeing the night progress. And that's, that's something that you'll see when you're, you're out at a sled pull and in between trucks. There's always a guy walking around with a stick poking the dirt. And I remember the first sled pull I went to, I kind of laughed. I'm like, what is this Jamoke doing? And, of course, everybody starts explaining that, like, oh, man, if it's wet, you don't want to run there. Or you might be finding runoff, you know, goes all to one side. Or it's looser up here and it's tighter over there. And a lot of this has to track back to your truck, your setup, your feelings, and also your tires. Uh, we've touched on tires a little bit here. David, can you walk me through what are some of your favorite tires to run? What are some of the ones that guys should stay away from? It really and truly, that's a loaded question based on the part of the country you pull in. There's there's tracks where, you know, you can get away with knit, running Nitto 420s or, or like a Toyo street <laughs> tire. The track right. is so hard, you're literally leaving black marks as you're taking, you know, as the, as the truck starts to build power and you take off, you the tires are squealing like they would on pavement. Um, and there's other tracks in sandy conditions. Uh, where a Truxus works really good. It's a great pulling tire with the bars in in certain parts of the country. It all comes down to the sipes in the tire. If you can pick a tire and you have a, depending on the conditions, you know, a good chassis, good setup, the tire with the most sipes is usually going to create the, the highest probability for you to win. The, the sipes allow that tire to flex and bite the ground. The, the less sipes, the more rigid the tire is going to be, and it's not going to want to move with the earth. You, you follow what I'm saying? Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Um, BFG makes a, a good choice. A lot of guys run the BFGs. They're really great tire for certain parts of the country. Um, we run dirt tracks on a lot of trucks. We run BFGs on a lot of trucks. There's general grabbers um, have been a popular in the higher horsepower trucks. A lot of guys want to run like a Nitto mud grappler. They're, they want to get really aggressive with like a front tire and let the let the, the fronts with the two tires do as much work as they can because their load is going to be minimized as the sled pulls down on them. And again, that's based on your hitch angle and how your hitch loads your vehicle as well. But we all know that the sleds are around 40,000 pounds, Paul. Four, right. Some of them are heavier, some of them are lighter, but around that 40 range. You got a four foot long chain and a 12, 14 foot box, 40,000 pound sled. It's pulling down on the rear of that truck. Those rear tires are going to get traction no matter what. 
Right. That's a given. Um, so the, the the front tire choice has been a lot of, a lot more aggressive on some builds, and the rear tires are like I said, the BFGs, the Duratrax, the General Grabbers. In in like the two five, two six, three zero applications. Any big common problems that you run into at poles as far as setup? Not necessarily problems. There's. Um, what are some pitfalls guys should stay away from? Yeah, you can walk through the pits and say, "Whoa, I can tell that guy's gonna hop, or I can tell that guy's gonna have a rough night." Oh, you want to like uh, the most common thing I see is guys with a bumper hitch sticking a really long receiver in and it's sticking way off the back of the truck and it's just a really it's poor angles it's this the truck's not going to do it's not going to work well it's going to create like the the fulcrum effect is what i call it mm-hmm. and it's going to try to um it's going to use the rear axle as a pivot point and try to lift the front tires on the ground off the ground a lot of times that's when you'll see the duramaxes uh with the tires bow in um Bend tie rods. I've seen it bend center links where the center links actually rub the oil pan. Uh, (laughs) Guys, it all depends on kind of how they have their truck set up. But that is the most damaging uh, to your success that I can think of, is having a super long hitch and having that thing stick way off the back of the truck. You want it tucked in as tight as you can to have the less leverage possible on the sled. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, you actually. Betcha. You want it as close to that rear axle as you can get it. Yeah, which I'm starting to see but, rules in just about every class. there's how close it can be to the rear axle, too. So you gotta, you got to know where you're pulling. There's a fine line there that you have to walk. And the closer you walk to that line, the more chance they know as rule create, the people who create the rules, they know kind of what the limitations are. So the closer you can walk to that line without going over, the better off you'll be. And these are things that come into play in your head when you're walking the track and poking the dirt with the stick that you should be doing that you shouldn't be out drinking beer before the hook uh having a good time with your buddies you should be focused on what's going on mm, that's not what i see it's lead balls that- <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's not what you see with the guys who are out there doing well they they have usually have someone that is sober and focused telling them what to do no it's totally true and the drivers usually i do see the drivers they are usually pretty well prepped pretty well focused or dialed in on the night or uh, my favorite is always no i haven't pulled yet when you go to offer them a beer like no i haven't pulled yet so as soon as you're done we're going to drink a 12er and that's that's usually the most fun time is somebody right after they get out of the truck all that adrenaline is pumping and they're just you could see it in their face and their body and they're just they're jacked and like, that's the best time to go hang out with sled pullers. Parking lot party, Especially man. Especially if they break something, guys. If you break your truck and it's badly <laughs> broken, like you said, you're going to get that person, uh, you're going to get them 12 deep in a 12-pack in a easily. <laughs> what kind of tips can you give to guys who are new to sled pulling? What's the what's the best thing somebody should, uh, should know before they go out? Run. Um, <laughs> find someone who's done it that will share some some good tips in your region. Find, the best thing I can tell a sled puller is find someone who who you see do well at your local polls and just talk to them. Say, hey, this is this is something I'm interested in. Um, I have no direction. Help me get started. And generally, they're, for the most part, until you, until you start beating that person, they're going to be as helpful as, <laughs> as anyone you, know, you think of. But the minute that you beat them by one inch or one-tenth of an inch, 
just you need to go ahead and have all your answers because they're done talking to you. <laughs> That's the biggest thing in sled pulling is everybody's your buddy and you know everybody's great and they're all generally good people in sled pulling. But the uh, the minute you become their competition, it's uh, they're going to treat you like an intruder in their house. Well, you know. What really kind of chaps my ass is when you get a guy that's asking you for all these tips and tricks, and you give it to him, you, you tell him what's going on, you kind of take him under your wing and you help the guy out, which I am more than happy to do. But then he freaking comes and puts 10 feet on you. And you're like, man, I should have never told that guy about his hitch <laughs> ankle or, you know, whatever it was that you helped him with. And you're like, I'm glad that he won, but he beat me, you know, and so that's you got to be careful for who you give tips to because they'll come and eat your lunch. See, I always give anybody new to the industry just terrible advice. That way they'll never catch up with me. You always give terrible advice. I tell them run water in the oil because it'll get you more RPM, you know, shit like that. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I heard it all now, Paul. Yeah. Water in the oil. Well, no, so Danny, everybody knows Danny and I work over at Duramax Tuner every spring. We take a huge influx of calls. Guys want more RPM. It's this sled pulling myth that RPM is going to equal feet on the track. And And it's not right. There's a, there's, RPM should match your turbo, right? So your peak RPM should match where your turbo makes power at peak. That makes a ton of Uh, sense. I would say your, your RPM needs to be as close to what your truck is carrying down the track that you can get it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here's, here's the big thing with sled pullers. We all want RPM, right? Because you don't want to have to change your gears at every sled pull. So RPM equals wheel speed. Right. You with me on this? Well, mm-hmm. yes, in in theory. Okay, RPM equals wheel speed. If you're, if you're in, a, in a, a certain gear, okay, more RPM, more wheel speed. More wheel speed, as long as you're planted to the ground, is going to generally increase the speed of that sled. The faster you can get that sled moving, the faster you can move it on the track, the farther it's going to skid to a stop, which eventually it's going to stop you. There's no doubt. Right. The faster you can get it moving, the quicker you can get your RPMs up, the higher you can carry RPMs and make power at higher RPMs is what I've found yields us better results. Um, we've tried, we tried. We were running bigger gears. We went to a to a faster gear, brought the RPMs down. Uh, one of the biggest things we learned on the engine dyno uh, is where the engine makes power and changing that to a point where we feel comfortable that we're the highest we can get at our given RPM range where the truck's going on the track. If you can, you know, if you can tell me um, the answer, yes or no, what I'm about to tell you, most stock engines make power around the 3,000 range, uh, 2,800, 3,000, with, say, 4094 turbos or modded turbos or... Anything under a 70 mil, I, I would totally 100% whatever, agree with that. You've got to have the, engine, uh, the, right. the chassis dyno in-house, and we're talking 2,800 to 3,000 RPMs, am I right? Correct. Then that's that's peak, that's max, that's the top of the top. And they're going to make torque, you know, around the 2,200 range, 22 to 24, somewhere there? Correct. Um, you know, we were in a work stock and a completely stock engine. Our truck was going down the track at, you know, 42, 4,300 RPMs. We're running third gear with 373s, which is a 14-2 final drive ratio. That was just, you, you know, that truck was unbeatable for, for two seasons. It was it was unbeatable. There was, there was nobody to compare. I mean, you know, guys came down from, you know, up your way in Illinois and all that and, just inspecting to walk all over the Georgia boys and girls and 
you know, they got feet put on them, you know? So, right. um, you're, you're poking at some good questions. They, they raise more questions, but they are good questions nonetheless. And that's, I'm working on that. So we'll, <laughs> we'll hopefully have more answers soon. But what you're asking, I'm working on right now and trying to come up with a with a methodical answer with some solid uh, research to back it up. There that's you go. Awesome. He's still building a history, and that's what a real racer does every day, builds a history and does better the next time. That's right. That's Got to right. do better the next time. If you stay where you're at, you're getting passed by the competition. Absolutely. Well, David, we really appreciate you joining us today. You've just been a wealth of knowledge, and I know we're going to have you back on to talk about sled pulling again in the future. If one of our listeners wants to get a hold of you, how can you be reached? The easily, uh, I guess the easiest is email, um, david at dieseltechnologysource.com. You know, obviously our phone number is on the website, Facebook, um, and through you guys. We do a lot of business with you, Paul, and, and Nick, and Bob, and you know, we work well together. We have for years. So, you know, if you're looking for us and find us hard to reach, you know, you know, tell them to get a hold of you, Paul. You know, you're you always seem to have uh, have the answers to get a hold of me. I guess. Yeah, sure. I just send up the bat signal. And we get David on the line. Absolutely. And if you want to get con- in contact with Danny or myself. You can reach out. Danny runs the Duramax Tuner Instagram and Snapchat. Snapchat, And I think you're even handling Twitter these days, aren't you? Yep. Tweet a motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> if you want to reach me, more conventional means, uh, you can reach me, Paul, at DuramaxTuner.com or the phone number at the shop's 815-568-7920, extension 2122. And I'm extension 2124. This has been Paul Wilson. And I'm Danny Voss. Thanks for listening. Calibrated Power Solutions, the leading North American developer of clean diesel power and home of DuramaxTuner.com, is the proud sponsor of the Diesel Performance Podcast. Calibrated Power develops emissions-equipped tunes for a wide variety of diesel powertrains, including the Duramax, Cummins, Jeep, John Deere, and many more. For more information and the best customer service in the industry, check out CalibratedPower.com or call 815-568-7920. That's 815-568-7920. To reach out to the Diesel Performance Podcast, send us a message through Facebook or email Paul at DuramaxTuner.com or Danny at DuramaxTuner.com. Especially if they break something, guys. If you break your truck and it's badly broken, like you said, you're going to get that person, uh, you're going to get them 12 deep in a 12-pack in a easily.